0: Hello, Spark. Thank you for coming. It's President's Weekend, you know, new pastor fear, no one's gonna come on three day weekend. So thank you, thank you, thank you. When my daughter Courtney was one year old, we gave her a stuffed animal who she named Pinky because she was pink. And you know how kids get attached to different things, whether it's a blanket or a pacifier. Well, Courtney got attached to Pinky. Pinky meant everything to Courtney. So everywhere that Courtney went, Pinky had to go, too. To the park, to daycare, to the mall, to Disneyland, to Hawaii. And one Thanksgiving, we went to San Jose for a family dinner. And when we got home, we realized we didn't have Pinky. And Courtney knew we didn't have Pinky, so she's panicked. And his parents were panicked. And what would any dad do? I got back in the car and drove from Burlingame to San Jose to see if I could find Pinky somewhere there. I went through the house, no luck. I went outside where we had parked the car. I couldn't see anything. But then I saw There was a sewer right next to where we parked. And sure enough, I looked in, and I see this little pink stuffed animal down there, a little bit dirty. But Pinky was there, and I was relieved. Here's the thing. Courtney loved Pinky and would do anything for her. And because I loved Courtney, then I had to love Pinky. I had to love them both because Courtney and Pinky were inseparable. Today, we want to spend some time talking about love. And Marilyn, thank you for wearing a love sweatshirt for us today. And we want to look specifically at 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18, which, as Pastor Kevin pointed out, is written by an author that we assume is John, but it may not be John. But the focus is on love, love in action. And so as we go through the Scripture, you can look at it on your phone. Uh, You can look in your Bible or you can look up here on the screen. We'll have it in all three places, modern world. So let's read. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because of his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, no compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Your children. Let us love, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So, how do we respond to these words? Well, from the passage, we can see that there really is only one response, and that is love. Love is what John most wants to communicate here. And this is going to be John's biggest contribution, his main point. When you see the picture of Jesus and the disciples at the table having the Last Supper, John is the one closest to Jesus, leaning on Jesus. And you see, John knew something about the love of Jesus, and he constantly and tirelessly argued for his readers to understand Jesus in a way that the other disciples didn't quite get, at least not to the same extent. And John's going to leave us a lasting contribution along the lines of love one another. You see, here you have John in this letter, a man who's getting up in years, he's a little bit older, and perhaps the only surviving apostle at that time, writing back maybe one last silver bullet to the church in Ephesus, and he says, love one another. And that's a really beautiful word, it is, but what does it exactly mean, this word love? Because it's sometimes hard in English to know what is that meaning. For instance... You can love your mom, and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both cases, your mom is going to feel really bad. (laughs) The Greek word for love that John uses in our passage today is agape. But here's what's fascinating about this word agape. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by going and finding an old dictionary and seeing what it said. Now what they did is they looked at the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the stories of Jesus to, de- to redefine the very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment in the Jewish scriptures? And he quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema, which says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength And so from this verse, loving the Lord is the most important thing. But then John quickly followed up by saying that there was another command for the Torah that was also the most important, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is it? Which is the most important commandment? Loving God or loving your neighbor? Loving others. And Jesus' answer would have been yes. You see, to ask the question means that you don't get his point. For Jesus, these commands are two sides of the same coin, meaning your love for God should be expressed by your love for people and vice versa. They are inseparable. So this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. It's a genuine love, seeking the well-being of others without expecting anything in return, especially from people who live in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. It's a generous, self-giving, self-sacrificing love that reflects the very heartbeat of God. That's the meaning of agape. And that's why the author says in chapter 3, in verse 11, "...for this is the message you heard from the beginning." We should love one another. And these people who were probably from Ephesus, they'd already heard the truth about Jesus from the apostles, about his life and his emphasis on loving others. Nothing has changed. This is the message they'd heard from the beginning. And John's contribution in our passage is that loving with words or speech is good and important. It is. But we also need to love others with action because this is the mark Of being a Christian. And this is the ask of Jesus, since love is the characteristic of God Himself. And so, to make his point in this passage, John contrasts love and hate. First, negatively with Cain, who murdered his brother. You remember Cain? Cain was the son of Adam and Eve, he was the brother of Abel. And what did Cain do? He murdered his brother Abel because he was filled with jealousy and with hate. And then John contrasts this negative image of hate with a positive example of Jesus who laid down his own life for us. And John is saying that the greatest love is seen when a person takes action and lays down his his or her life on behalf of his friends. Okay, look to the person on your left or right and tell them if you would be willing to lay down your life for them. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. That's a big request, right? It is. But the truth is it's a fairly remote possibility that any of us would ever have to lay down our lives for each other, for someone we know or someone we don't know. We don't live in a time of persecution, at least not here in the United States. But this great and incredible example of love, of laying down your life for someone, is showing us that love means that we are to have a readiness to do anything, to do anything for other people. Which brings us to verses 17 and 18. And I think this is where John was really taking us. Here's what it says. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them and I want to, some people don't like the word pity has no compassion on them how can the love of god be in that person dear children let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth you see readiness to lay down one's life is a high ideal but it's fairly you know remote it's a fairly remote possibility But John is saying that the supreme example of Christ's self-sacrifice leads to an appeal for us to have a practical love, an actionable love, a love which goes beyond just feelings to the costly sharing of one's possessions and money with the needy. Because truth be told, the need for the world is for food and for clothing and jobs and for those who have these things to share with those who have not. Howard Marshall says it this way. The tragedy is that we've not learned to take this statement seriously. The need of the world is not for heroic acts of martyrdom, but for heroic acts of material sacrifice, where we show love in action by giving what we can to those who are suffering. John is saying that the person who has, who has wealth and material possessions is lacking in Christian love if he does not share With others in need. I bet the people in the church of Ephesus went completely silent when this part of the message was heard. Because John is making a huge statement, right? He is. This is what Pastor Danielle was talking about in her sermon, Walking Like Jesus, that we need to follow his commandments as disciples, which isn't easy. And it reminds us that there's a difference between agreeing with Jesus and actually following Jesus. What would the Apostle Paul have to tell us about love? Because if you had to boil down this epistle of John John into one idea, it's going to be love with action. But what would Paul say? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. You probably know this by heart, but let me read it to you. It was in my wedding vows 35 years ago. Looking good, right? Okay, here's what Next. Okay, here's what Paul says. (laughs) If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no wrong of a record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails paul is going to say whatever love is it is endless and it never fails Jesus, he was love, and he lived a life of love, and he had something specifically to say about love in Matthew 5. And here's what he said. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Paul would say, love never fails. Jesus would say, yes, love never fails. and And it is for everyone, not just for those who love you back. And John would say that love is expressed through action. You can already see the difference between where we live today and what we know to be true about love, at least from what we read in Scripture. So what does this look like to love others with action? Well, as followers of Jesus, as his disciples, we need to live this out by loving those closest to us. To us. Certainly this is true. That could be your spouse. It could be a partner. It could be your kids, your family, your family. Are your close friends. But the truth is, sometimes it's hardest to love those who are closest to you. We take them for granted. We expect more out of them. We sometimes behave much worse with them than we would with others. And we get upset over clothes left on the floor, the cap not put on the toothpaste, for not replacing the toilet paper, for leaving dishes in the sink, for not closing the refrigerator, for eating all of the ice cream. And these are just a few of the things that I do. Now, we can certainly have boundaries, and everyone can and should chip in. But if we are loving like Jesus, then we need to also bring a sacrificial love to our relationships where we seek another's well-being without expecting anything in return and not turning little things into bigger things. How about this for a quick idea of how to love people closest to you? Give those closest to you some of your time. I try to do this with my son-in-law by giving him time and doing what is important to him during this time. This sounds simple. I know it sounds simple, but it's hard for so many of us to give time to the people we love because we can always find something else that needs to be done. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's paying bills. Maybe it's a show that you've been trying to watch, and I'm thinking season two of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. (laughs) My son-in-law, he likes board games. And as it turns out, I'm not a fan of board games. I don't like Monopoly. I never have. I don't like playing cards. It doesn't interest me. But here's the thing. My son-in-law, he likes board games. He likes cards. He recently brought out a game called Katam that he really likes. It's a popular game. I get it. People like it. Any, Any fans? Any fans? We got some fans. I, I get it. I know games are good and katana is good for family bonding, but sorry, I was not excited about playing this game. But I played the game because my son-in-law enjoys the game and he loves having me and the entire family play it with him. And as it turns out, it was fun, mostly because of the laughing and scheming and failed strategizing He has even scheduled a weekly game every Wednesday night, and he's keeping score. And just so you know, Tammy's in in the lead, and I'm in last place. I guess it's my attitude. (laughs) Do you have the time you need to love those closest to you? You see, loving others takes time. But how do you find time? Well, can I suggest maybe you need to quit something. I'll bet there are probably a few things that you could quit in order to make some more space, in order to make some more room for others. And I'm not talking big things. Don't quit your spouse or don't quit your kids. Don't quit your job. I mean, quit something small, something that takes up some of your time so you can have a little bit more space in your life. It might be a particular show that you binge watch. It might be Sports Center, And do you have to know everything that happened in sports that day? Maybe you could spend less time on Facebook or Instagram or playing Candy Crush. You could probably find an hour right there. How about this for another quick idea? Make the first move. We all love getting invitations. Invitations make us feel important. They make us feel wanted. So how about making someone's day and inviting them to do something? Make the first move. Invite someone to coffee. Invite them over for dinner. Invite them to a movie. Or maybe even invite them to sit next to you in church next week. Your invitation will show them that you care about them. And we all want that, right? We do. So love those closest to you. Do that. But we also need to love others in our community and in our world. People that we don't know. People that may be different from us, but people that God loves and that we should love because Jesus said we are to love God and we are to love others. They are inseparable. My wife, she grew up on a farm and she used to cook regularly for 50 people during the harvest season. Can you imagine? And so she's comfortable and actually likes cooking for people, for our family and friends and people who come on over or whoever else is around. The kitchen is where we spend most of our time. There at the kitchen table, we talk and we laugh and we tell stories. And now, as you know, we also play board games. (laughs) My wife likes a big table and everyone is invited. Everyone is included. There's a popular progressive myth that says if Jesus was here today, he would be hanging out slowly with the poor and the disenfranchised and the outcasts. But this is not entirely true if you read the gospel stories. They show him giving equal time to the most disparate segments of humanity. He, isn't, uh, he hasn't as so many Christians tend to be cloistered in some cozy, insulated corner preaching to the choir of his like-minded fan club. But he also isn't relegated to the neglected people of the street either. Yes, he dines with sinners and collectors, but he's also in the home of a respected Pharisee surrounded by the skeptical religious elites. He extends his hand to a despised leper, but does the same thing for the servant of an occupation Roman servant whose faith moves him. He preaches on a hillside to the poor and the disenfranchised, yet regularly speaks in the synagogues amid the experts and the insiders. He counsels both a curious Pharisee named Nicodemus who comes to him under the cover of night and a shunned Samaritan woman at a public well in the heat of the day. You see, Jesus was a shepherd, a pastor to the wide swath of humanity that crossed his path caring for all these people with the same fervency and reverence. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish religious elite for whom whom he saved his most pointed criticisms, received his presence and his welcome. And this is perhaps one of the most challenging things we face as we seek to personally emulate Jesus, equally embracing those we find unpleasant or unlovable or unworthy of welcome. Here's the point. Jesus had a big ministry table where all are treated with equal dignity, and they all left his presence with that dignity intact. We learn from John's passage tonight that we should love with action. We should. I know the heart of this community here at Spark and how so many of you care for others and give money to others. It's amazing and sweet. It really is. And I've seen you show up to help and support refugee families. I mean, this is one of the main reasons that Tammy and I started coming to Spark, because we walked in the door and, and you were uh, raising money for uh, refugees leaving Syria that were on their way to Greece. You were expressing love and action, and it moved us. It really did. I've seen you show up to feed homeless at Project We Hope. To give toys and basic necessity to children and parents that are staying at the Ronald McDonald house while their kids are at the hospital being taken care of there. And I've seen you walk in solidarity with people of other faiths, which inspires me and makes me so proud to be a part of this church. A church that believes deeply in radical welcome, building relationships and having honest and meaningful, crucial conversations about race and gender inequality and sexual orientation as a first step towards reconciliation. A church that isn't about digging our heels into religious rules and doctrine and dogma. You see, those things will always provide us reason to disconnect from others. They will always become... Obstacles. No, this is about the mindset with which we gather with people. About creating a space where difference can be both openly acknowledged and fully welcomed. A place where the most God-honoring, most Jesus-reflecting act is to err on the side of loving people just as you are. A place that wants to follow the teachings of Jesus and expand the table where everyone is welcome. You already know that Spark loves others with action. At least we try. But we express this financially too by giving 10% of everything you give to love and help others in our community, in our country, and around the world. In the past year, we've given money to Hope Christian Church, a church community in Paradise, California, whose church building was tragically burned down last year in California's campfire, the deadliest and most destructive wildfire California history. We've given money to Narciss uh, Street Baptist Church, which is our sister church in Israel, to help support and care for their community. We've given, we've given money to Alotor Lado, a nonprofit that hires attorneys to help immigrants navigate the difficult and complex legal process at the border. And this is mostly for asylum seekers who are seeking protection from persecution. Every year, millions of Americans are incarcerated simply because they can't post bail. They can't afford it. So we've given money to Brooklyn Community Fund, a nonprofit that helps people in jail get out on bail before their court case is heard. We've given money to Equal Justice Initiative, a nonprofit organized by Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy, which is such an incredible book. Read it. And this group confronts racial injustice, advocates for equality, and creates hope for marginalized communities. And this is a group that helps to get innocent people off of death row. Homelessness is a big problem, as we know, here in the Bay Area and throughout the United States. And dare I say that this is a national emergency. So we give money to Project We Hope, a nonprofit that is focused on helping people become healthy and employed and housed. We also give money to Questscope, a nonprofit that is run by Dr. Kurt Rhodes, who has preached at Spark, who's come to Spark several times. And this group, this group helps to take care of refugees in Jordan and those struggling in Syria, people whose lives have been ravaged by war and by poverty. All of this, all these organization, organizations and what they do is love in action. And I want you to know that the rescue team here at Spark, we're putting together several events for you and for us this coming year. We're going to have a family-friendly event this spring this, this spring where we will be putting together hygiene kits for the homeless. We'll be helping out at feeding kitchens this summer. We'll be collecting jackets and coats this fall. And once again, we'll be helping out at the Ronald McDonald House for kids and parents that need help there. Please join us if you can. Now, friends, this is all good, it is. But there's more I have to say about loving others, especially after seeing Austin Channing Brown last weekend. And it is this we must become aware. We must take our eyes off of ourselves so that we can become aware of the injustice and the ocean of pain that is in the world. We must open our eyes to those close to us, but also to those who are suffering further away, nationally and internationally, because the love of God goes beyond the shores of America. We know this. To be aware, we must read, we must ask questions, and we must seek out all the information we can on issues and problems that God puts on our hearts. But here's the thing. Awareness is a part of loving, but there is more because there's more work to loving with action. To love with action, we must engage with people, our sisters and brothers who are personally experiencing trauma and pain and injustice. And we must become an ally where we engage in deep and honest dialogue about what our friends, our neighbors, or others are going through. Maybe it's with someone in your family Maybe it's with someone getting a divorced. Maybe it's with someone in a hospital bed. Maybe it's with a person of color. Maybe it's with someone in jail. Maybe it's with a DACA student who's afraid that his family is going to be deported, who's afraid that he might get deported. So you see, we must engage and we must have a conversation Because when we do, this conversation shifts. It shifts from talking about them, people way out there, to people we know. And this issue gets personal because we have heard their story and not some big tale on TV. And now, with that, we are ready to intentionally assist those in need, where we care, where we are compassionate. And if we can, if we have material possessions, we assist with money, we bring food, we make our cars available, we open our homes, we get creative, because this matters. This is love in action. And we use our voice, and we use our power, and we use our influence. And as people who love with action, we should also be advocates. This is where the pain and suffering that others are going through becomes our struggle too, not just someone else's problem. And because of that, we become outspoken advocates, going the extra mile, passionately seeking assistance, or raising awareness of the problem, the injustice, and recruiting other allies. And to be very direct and candid with you for for just the next minute, The truth is, we don't always stand with others, people that need our help, because we don't understand what they're going through. We don't get it. And the church many times doesn't get it. And frankly, I don't always get it because of my experience based on my background, my education, my culture, my gender and race and my privilege in this world. This gives me all the reasons I need not to care about others, to be indifferent to the evil in the mistreatment of others and the unfairness that is around me. That is the way it is with the majority of us who live as part of a dominant culture. In general, we find our lives acceptable, not getting all that we might desire, but having most of what we need. Yet most days, the concerns for others or justice issues are not on our agenda And the truth is, justice has been built into systems that benefit many of us. That puts us in places where we get what we expect or what we think we deserve or need and often more. We don't wish others to be deprived of these things. We don't. But we grow complacent in our awareness that the justice we count as normative simply does not exist for others. In the end... It amounts to a life that assumes the blessing for ourselves without either the urgency or the passion to seek it for others. For instance, to love as Jesus loved others requires more strength and conviction than a human being without the spirit can muster. It requires giving without expecting anything in return, forgiving enemies, withholding judgment, Assuming the position of a servant, looking after the forgotten, caring for neighbors, and being an ally and an advocate for those who need us to stand up with them. It requires living counterculturally by resisting the temptations of indulgent wealth and self serving power. We learn from our passage today that we are to love others with action. In this act of behavior is what Pastor Kevin meant when he talked about Sarks, you know, the Greek word for flesh, which is used to describe the person of Jesus and his movement in the world. And this word reminds us that we are not merely spiritual beings, but also earthly, physical, and fleshly followers of Jesus who are to be a part of his movement of loving others in this world. And frankly, loving with action is the only way the onlooking world is ever going to know we are who we say we are, disciples of Jesus, children of God. It is the hallmark. It is the signature of God. And God is the only true source of complete love expressed ultimately and supremely in Jesus Christ. May we become full of God's love and be people of action as we share it with others. In a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And as you know, we've set up a communion table here down, right down the main aisle here. And when Kevin begins to play some music for us and you're ready, you can go ahead and move to the uh, communion area and you can grab a wafer and you can dip it into the juice. And as you eat, though, and as you're up there taking communion, remember, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for you. A perfect love. This defines love. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was portrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. Whenever you drink it, and remember to me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup and you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again.
1: Please rise for a benediction if you're able. One of the things that I was just sitting there listening to Pastor Tom share is uh, and he is he and Tammy are just one example of the dozens and hundreds in this church is that when I hear messages like that the power uh, that kind of teaching comes obviously from our scriptures, from our text, from our tradition. Um, but it, it also comes because I know that the Arringtons are actually living it out. And I see a teach like that come not from a place of just simply preparing words, but coming from a place where lived experience. And um, thank you for, for sharing Thank you for sharing a teaching, but also thank you for modeling it for us in your life. So my friends, Sparkers, may you be the kind of followers of Jesus that love deeply, that have tremendous compassion, that want to raise your own awareness and to become true, living, fleshly advocates For God's justice and God's love here on earth as it is in heaven. In his name, amen.